0: This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel, broadcasting remotely. The best-selling author of Lilac Girls is back with a new book out this week. Today, Where We Live, we hear from Connecticut resident and author Martha Hall Kelly. Her new book is Sunflower Sisters. It's the third and final installment following philanthropist Caroline Faraday's family. Caroline lived in Connecticut. This book centers on three women during the Civil War. Georgiana Woolsey, a union nurse, Gemma, an enslaved girl, and Anne May, a plantation mistress. Now, are you a fan of historical fiction? What questions do you have for our author, Martha Hall Kelly? You can join the conversation. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Martha Hall Kelly is joining me on Zoom today. Martha, welcome back to the show. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. I know the last two times you've been on the show, we've been able to speak in person. And now we've all been living in this pandemic. What has it been like for you as an author uh, to live in this past year? Actually,
2: it hasn't changed my life, my writing life that much, because uh, I live here in Litchfield uh, pretty isolated. I need that to be able to write, you know, to be in that fictive dream. Uh, but my two of my children um, have moved home with us. So that's changed things a little bit. <laughs> uh, I, I totally for the better. It's uh, it's wonderful having them home. But, you know, I, I don't have quite as much privacy anymore, but it's still great.
0: Now, some Where We Live listeners have read Lilac Girls, which started your journey writing historical fiction based on philanthropist Caroline Faraday and her family. I know some have also visited or heard of the Bellamy Faraday house in Bethlehem, Connecticut. For those who aren't familiar with Caroline Faraday, Faraday, can you briefly remind us who she was?
2: Oh, Caroline was incredible. I fell in love with her back in 2000 when I first visited the Bellamy house and gardens. And she was a New York socialite and a um, a Broadway actress. And she and her family, her mother and father, she was an only child, would come up to her home here in uh, Bethlehem, which she called the Hay, and spend every summer. And once her father passed away, sadly, from pneumonia when she was very young, She and her mother were, um, you know, all they had was each other and they became very close and they together created the beautiful gardens that are there still today that people come to see. And they filled them, uh, filled the garden with specimen lilacs from around the world and and, uh, antique roses that still bloom today.
0: Mm -hmm i mentioned lilac girls uh, this was a book that was very popular and it told the story of how caroline helped uh, women who had been imprisoned in the ravensbrook uh, concentration camp. You would go on to then write Lost Roses, which focused on Caroline's mother, Eliza, during World War One or around World War One. and now we've got Sunflower Sisters, which is the story of Caroline Faraday's great-grandmother and her eight children. Uh, what is it about this family that's kept you going back?
2: Oh, they're just fascinating. I, I, researched Caroline down in the archives at the Bellamy Faraday House in Bethlehem for five years before I did anything in terms of writing a book. I I actually had no intention of of writing a novel, but I was just so interested in her. I I felt like she had such a strong sense of right and wrong, and I was just so curious where that came from. Um, And it turns out it came from her ancestors, the Woolsey Women, and As I was researching Latin girls, I was reading all of these letters. There are over a hundred letters, which are, it's such a treasure to have that at the house. And um, they're all in archival boxes. Really, Um, Caroline was very, very particular about um, her Woolsey ancestors' artifacts and uh, uh, all the ephemera. Uh, And she was very smart to leave um, her house to Connecticut Landmarks because they've taken such good care of the photographs and the letters. So when I started reading those letters, it just, their life came alive for me. And I always knew I wanted to write a Civil War book. So this has been a dream.
0: Now, one of the central characters in Sunflower Sisters is Georgie and, or Georgie Woolsey, who ends up being, again, a main character. But there's also two other women stories that are weaved throughout this book. Talk about why you went that route.
2: Well, I always knew, and and Caroline was a staunch supporter of civil rights. And when I went back and looked at the Woolseys, they were staunch abolitionists. And I knew I wanted to show that in the book. And in order to show it, I had to have um, an enslaved character, and her name in the book is Gemma. And I also wanted to show the horror of slavery and knew that I needed um, a plantation mistress. And I lived in Atlanta at the time when I first started writing it, which was great. And I got to do a lot of firsthand research down at the Atlanta History Center. They have incredible Civil War artifacts and um, lots of exhibits about slavery. Um, And I also got to visit a lot of museums that were once plantations. And that was really, really helpful. I found one actually up in Maryland. And I decided to set my story in Maryland because it was a border state. Um, And I based my plantation in the book, which is called Peeler Plantation. I based it on Sauterly, which is in Hollywood, Maryland.
0: Again, you're hearing Martha Hall Kelly, she's written a new book, Sunflower Sisters. You can join our conversation, especially if you're a fan of historical fiction. Uh, This book takes place uh, during the Civil War. Here's the number to join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. I think it's interesting, whenever we talk about uh, the Civil War, we obviously think about the South and the sins of slavery, the cruelty of it. But in this book, you also spend time thinking about and talking about how the North was complicit in slavery, profiting off cotton sugar, including the Woolsey family. Absolutely. That
2: really surprised me when I dug into it. Um, Mr. Woolsey, who so sadly was um, killed at sea in a terrible steamship accident, he had been a sugar merchant. I didn't realize that. Even when I started the book, I didn't realize it and kind of came across that. So it was really interesting that you have this family that is so anti-slavery, but he had profited off of um, sugar. And I think
0: they spend their whole lives trying to kind of right that wrong. We've mentioned Georgie as one of the characters. So tell me her relation to Caroline again. She is Caroline's great aunt. And And she misses
2: So the... There is a, um, on my website, a family tree, which is really helpful. It's kind of my (laughs) cheat sheet. But Caroline's great-grandmother, Jane Eliza, married Charles Woolsey, and they had the eight children. And I chose Georgie, Caroline's great-aunt, to write the book about, because Georgie had become uh, a nurse for the Sanitary Commission, And actually, nurse soldiers, Northern and Southern soldiers, they were very, um, very uh, adamant that they would not turn away any Confederate soldier that was that was wounded. But she and her mom go down. That's a little bit of a spoiler for the book, but they go down to Gettysburg and. Uh, nurse soldiers down there right on the battlefield. It was, it was pretty amazing. Georgie actually wrote a book about it called Three Weeks at Gettysburg.
0: Georgie is an interesting character or woman uh, who was uh, unmarried until about, what is it, 28 or so? That was unusual at the time.
2: Very unusual. Old maid territory. Um, (laughs) Her sisters were 30 and everyone, you know, was kind of mourning the fact that they had crossed That Rubicon to 30 and um, were unmarried. And they remained unmarried for the rest of their lives, but all the other girls um, were married. It was hard, obviously, during the Civil War because the men, so many men were dying in battle. uh, And it was not a time to get married. After the war, yes, but unfortunately for Abby and Jane, the two oldest, they, they never married.
0: So Georgie is again one of the main central characters. There's also Gemma. This was an enslaved girl uh, that uh, lived at this uh, plantation in the book in Maryland. Talk about how you researched that character and you know know, there's parts in this book that are very difficult to read and and I wanted to hear more about how you brought out her story when we think about uh, how uh, those who were enslaved were treated.
2: I really wanted to show the reality of slavery, just like I did, I felt like I did that in Lilac Girls and Lost Roses, the the reality of war and in this case slavery. And when I visited the plantations, I mean, it's pretty obvious uh, when you walk around there, especially the the museums that do present slavery as a big part of their, you know, when you go on a tour that, it, it was just a horrific way to live. And I wanted to really show that. So I read a lot of first-person accounts of enslaved people um, and, and and just visited as much as I could the places where they were. Uh, down in Charleston, there is was um, a, a museum uh, it, it, the, a, about slavery. And that's one of the first places I visited because one of the letters that I was so moved by from the archives is about how the, the sisters went to visit that exact slave mart in Charleston, they stumbled upon it when they were down there just for a social visit. And they they were forever changed by that because they saw and they got to talk to, they were not allowed into the slave market, but they were allowed to stand at the gate and they spoke with one of um, the enslaved people that her children were being sold. I just get so emotional even talking about it. Um, so that was one of the things um, when I went to the slave market, that is um, the former slave market, now a museum, I got to stand there at that same gate and it was unbelievably moving. So um, I wanted to show all that. And, and that's how I start the book um, is with that scene of them at the slave market and seeing someone um, sold and their children sold as well. And it's easy to see why they were were so um, such staunch abolitionists.
0: There are several more characters in Sunflower Sisters who were also enslaved, but Gemma really stands out. Uh, Tell us more about how you developed her character and the relationship that she not only builds with uh, Georgie and the other Woolsey women, But the plantation mistress that she worked for, Anne May. Oh, Anne May.
2: (laughs) I'm already getting um, emails from people saying, oh, Anne May. Um, Yeah, again, I didn't want to shy away from the reality of that relationship, which um, it it was a a tricky one, um, the one that I show in the book between Gemma and Anne May. Gemma was, and this is all taken from um, real accounts that I read about um, different um, people that were enslaved at the time. And Gemma was owned by Anne May's aunt, Aunt Tandy Rose. And Aunt Tandy Rose taught Gemma how to read and write for her own purposes. She wanted Gemma to read to her. She wanted her to read her the Bible and novels. And so um, Gemma, a quick study, learned to read and write very quickly, which uh, was against the law at the time. In Maryland, that law changed, but um, still it was against the law at the time to teach um, enslaved people to read and write. Now, Anne May, who inherited the plantation from Aunt Tandy Rose, she could read but not write. So... um, once Anne May, who is from Louisiana and is a Confederate sympathizer, once she gets drawn into um, a uh, kind of a spy ring, it's not a huge part of the book, but she forces Gemma to write things down for Anne May that get potentially could get Gemma into a lot of trouble because even women back then were punished very severely for um, uh,
0: being traitors. You mentioned that you're already getting emails about this character, Anne May. She is the one that we all love to hate when we're reading this book. So what are people telling you? Yes. (laughs) What have they shared with you as they're reading about her?
2: They just, you know, that happens a lot. They, um, in in my other books too, with her to O-Browser, people are, they just are so incensed by the way that Anne May can be just so cruel. And I think we have to remember, it's 1863, it was a different time and it was totally accepted to feel that way about another human being, to keep someone enslaved like that. Even though in the book, Aunt Tandy Rose had promised Gemma and her family that um, she would be freed upon her death um, and May has a different feeling about that and decides to keep them. So, um, she's just a, a terrible piece of work, but everyone is, is, you know, saying that and they all love Gemma
0: and they love Georgie. So I, I think I, I maybe did my job there. <laughs> you mentioned her test. So she was the Nazi in lilac girls, but you also spend time not just showing their evil side or the side that we love to hate, but some of the reasons why they developed that type of personality, Martha?
2: Absolutely. I think that's really important in a character to show both sides of it. And uh, I think that's what made her to Oberhauser so interesting, is how could she be drawn into National Socialism? Um, You know, and we start to see ourselves in that. Like maybe we could, you know, given the same circumstances, be drawn into that as well. And I wanted to do the same thing with Anne May and show her... Her good side and I think her brother who marches off to war, she has a husband that goes to war and also a brother that she loves so dearly. He fights for the Confederates and her husband Fergus goes off to fight um, for the Union. And so I, I can't really say what happens to them, but it's, you know, I, I think that's a good way to show her
0: softer side that she
2: loves her brother so much.
0: We heard from someone on Twitter who wanted, who was really interested in hearing how you research your stories. And you've talked about finding these letters between the Woolsey women and traveling uh, to certain locations, uh, like uh, the Bellamy Faraday house, of course, and their archives, but also going to uh, what were once slave markets and plantations. Uh, When we think about uh, how uh, you develop these characters, you know, did you know a lot about the civil war or did during this process, uh, Martha?
2: I wish I, I wish I had paid attention more in high school history. I didn't love history. It's so funny um, in in high school, for example. Um, until I had one female history teacher who taught it from more of a female point of view, and I, I went to um, an all girls school later in high school, and that really um, opened my eyes to it. But I didn't know that much about Civil War. You know, I had seen the Ken Burns documentary and um, you know all the usual things but uh i was really my husband um is a huge huge civil war fan he actually was so anxious for the first he always reads my manuscripts but he was so anxious for the first scenes um and has been such a supporter uh but i had to really um get up to speed very very quickly especially because there's a scene from Pickett's charge in the book and i really really wanted to make it uh, um authentic and actually Kirkus reviews one of the things they said about the book is that it's um they compared it to a Ken Burns documentary so that well, that that's made me really happy <laughs>
0: Uh, You mentioned, uh, you know, just learning more about the Civil War. The Peeler uh, Plantation is in what was then the border state of Maryland. So there were uh, sympathies for the Union and the Confederacy. And so when you talk about uh, being careful not to be seen as a a traitor during that time, what would happen to somebody like Ann May if she was found out?
2: Well, the men would be executed. And um, women, I was surprised to find out, um, they were um, imprisoned. And after the war, uh, you know, it, it was the 1860s, they um, released them. But during the war, they were, uh, there were some accounts of um, they were tortured to find out. Um, you know more of their secrets because these women were delivering poison pies to Union troops, doing really terrible things because the men didn't expect a woman to be capable of something like that. So um, yeah, when Anne May finds that out that uh, there could be a, a, you know possible prison in in her future, uh, she it, you know it affects her pretty badly.
0: Mm-hmm. When we talk more about Gemma and the relationship she builds with the Woolsey family, these are a very strict abolitionist family. How did you develop that storyline to not make it seem like they are, quote, white saviors?
2: You know, I was, from day one, I was really um, cognizant of that. I wanted to make sure that Gemma had um, agency that uh, it wasn't, she wasn't a victim. And a big part of that was making sure, was showing the woolseys as, um, you know, not as saviors. And I I did that by making Gemma a, a whole person on her own. Uh, the fact that she can read and write. Uh, she's very smart about getting out of bad situations, although she, she's um, almost debilitated by some of the awful things that happened to her and her family in the book. And it's uh, so, so sad, but I have her, um, fighting back when the Woolseys, um, I I think the Woolseys had a tendency to be very full charge. That's kind of a nice way of putting it. They were very, very smart women. And like their mother, they, they, um, took over situations and I, in the book, I have them trying to do that with Gemma and kind of, um, uh, live her life for her or tell her how she should do things. And Gemma fights back and says, hey, I, you know, I am who I am and you don't have to take care of me. And I love, I love that she does that. And, and readers already are telling me that they love that. Her mother, Sable as well, fights back um, with Anne May very physically in one scene. That um, that was so It was such a catharsis to write that um, where she, um, I can't really say what it is, but yeah. So I I feel like um, I I had to make sure that they
0: had um, agency in their own right. You're hearing Martha Hall Kelly here on Where We Live. She's a Connecticut author whose newest book is Sunflower Sisters. She also wrote the New York Times bestseller Lilac Girls. We're going to talk more with Martha after the break. You can join us too 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nalbeth We're talking about a new book out this week called Sunflower Sisters. Its author, Martha Hall Kelly, is my guest today. She wrote the New York Times bestseller, Lilac Girls. Sunflower Sisters is the story of three women during the Civil War. It's historical fiction based on relatives of philanthropist Caroline Faraday, who once lived in Connecticut. Now, Martha, we talked about the many letters that you read and that you included in the book. Could you read an excerpt for us?
2: Oh sure. Just for context, this is from a Georgie chapter, and it's from um, her sister Jane, who is the second in the second oldest sister. <clears throat> um, it gets me a little bit sad, so I'll try and do my best not to get all teary, but. Um, She wrote it at the American Hotel in Litchfield, Connecticut, which when I saw that they had a connection to Litchfield, I just thought that was so interesting. Sorry, I have to take a little water. Um, The American Hotel, Litchfield, Connecticut. Dear Georgie, as we welcome warmer days in lovely Litchfield, we follow with great interest the growth of the 19th Regiment recruited in that county all the little white crumbs of towns dropped in the wrinkles of the hills, sending in their 20, 30, 50 fighting men, clubbed by the very little villages, marching under our windows every day to the campground. Almost all the young men in Litchfield Village have gone, the farmers, the clerks in the shops, the singers in the choir, who will reap next year's crops? Who is to sow them? They understood very well what they were what they were going to. Disease, death, a common soldier's nameless grave. Your loving sister, Jane. I don't know, that just gets married. <laughs> that um, all these young men were marching off to war right here from Litchfield. They all mustered at uh, Camp Dutton. Uh, it's, it just brings home the the sadness of it that they knew where they were going and what was gonna happen.
0: You talk about uh, just the sacrifices that so many make in war, including the Civil War. A part of your research was going to Gettysburg, uh, the national battlefield that's in Pennsylvania. It was a pivotal site during the Civil War. I've been there uh, as well, but I want you to describe this place to our listeners and and what it was like to be there.
2: Uh, It really is hallowed ground. And not only was I able to see where Georgie had set up her actual tents. She worked with um, the actual hospital down there, which they set up Camp Letterman, but they also had these satellite tents that they would set up near the train and they would put soldiers onto the train at the train station in Gettysburg into cattle cars, w- which literally had just had cattle in them. And with with all the, um, you know, dirty hay still in it and they would set their soldiers so horribly wounded into those cars and then since they couldn't turn around the train would back up all the way to baltimore so it was so interesting to see the actual place where where georgie and her mom set up their tents but it also was just so moving to see gettysburg i i had been there um before, when my my son was very young, but um, going back there with this context was was so moving. Just to know that so many men died there, and there are so many monuments, and it's just it's it was a wonderful trip. I went with my
0: son. Hmm. Uh, when did you start writing this book? Because we know that we've lived in, in quite a year but also when we think about the conversations we're having about race and inequality as well as uh, uh, gender qual- you know, equality, uh, just uh, the things that we're all reflecting on today and, and how this book touches on some themes that unfortunately are still with us.
2: It's so funny, I didn't, about five years ago, I started writing it and I had none of that was on my radar. It really is just a coincidence that today, all those things are, are still so relevant.
0: Mm. I forgot to mention the theme of nationalism. And again, as we saw the country uh, divided over uh, slavery uh, and the consequences of uh, this practice. It's just interesting uh, to think about uh, when we're talking about this today, uh, Martha. And I'm wondering from people who've read this book, uh, have they connected that as well? What are they sharing with you?
2: Absolutely. I mean, we're only two days in and people are already sending me emails about it. It's really interesting. I I think one of the scenes in the book that um, is is making people connect to what's happening today is the the draft riots in New York City. And again, I had no idea that what um, happened in January at the Capitol would happen. And a lot of people are drawing a comparison to that with the draft riots, which um, it was a mostly Irish mob that was at first reacting, um, objecting to the draft because um, wealthy people could spend $300 and get out of the draft. And they unfortunately were being drafted in great numbers and um they uh, but it turned into a race riot and the the longshoremen their jobs were being taken they felt and i think it was partially true by freed black men um and and they were not being um conscripted to fight um the the, the former slaves so they just um created this giant insurrection and um ended up murdering um at lynching for Black men and, and also a child, an eight-year-old child. Um, so um, in the book, the Colored Orphan Asylum is um, targeted. And that is, is true. And it's in the Woolsey letters. Um, and 200 um, uh, children of color were evacuated from um, the asylum before it was burned to the ground. No, None of the children died but it was traumatic. Um, after, after the draft riots, um, a huge percent of the black population in New York moved to Brooklyn
0: permanently. It's important to uh, recall events like that uh, where many people probably haven't heard about that before, Martha. So thank you for for explaining that um, to us. I was also struck by, as you're reading your book, uh, certain uh, prominent people (laughs) who turn up, including Hartford-born Frederick Law Olmsted, uh, who actually held an interesting position during the Civil War. Tell us about that.
2: He was the head of the Sanitary Commission. That was another thing I was surprised about. What a talented man. I mean, to go from uh, designing and uh, overseeing uh, Central Park, the birth of Central Park, which was, especially for the time, such a feat, um, and overseeing the Sanitary Commission. And he was the one, uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but that helps Georgie and her sister Get into um, to become nurses. Uh, they did it on their own, but he helped them once they were um, eligible. He he made sure that they got onto the hospital ships where where he was very involved in the hospital ships. And it's one of those "be careful what you wish for" things because once they were in the hospital ships, I mean, uh, the the horror of the injuries was was really evident. But he w- he was right there with them on those hospital
0: ships. I mentioned uh, gender equality today. So when you're reading the book and you uh, read the accounts that Georgie and uh, other women, they what they experienced because they were women trying to be nurses. Can you talk about that?
2: Uh, I think that was one of the hardest things for her. You know, she goes on, this is another spoiler, to um, she and her husband create um, in New Haven, one of the first nursing schools for um, women that became part of Yale, but, uh, oh, she experienced horrible, horrible misogyny. Uh, the, it, before um, Georgie became a nurse, she was one of the very first. It was all male nurses, and, uh, and they liked their kind of cushy life of not having to fight. They were um, they were the nurses on the Civil War battlefield before these women showed up. And so they were, they were going to do anything they could to sabotage people like Georgie, but she was just, I mean, she had it together. Um, I mean, if you were sick during, in on the battlefield, or that's who you wanted as your nurse because her pockets were full of every possible thing that could help. She was practically a doctor. And and the doctors also were very, we are just scathing to the women because, you know, back then if you had a husband or uh, any male in your family that was wounded in battle, you went down to take care of them. So there were all these women that would show up that would, wanted to take care of their their kin. And the doctors were just like, oh, get these people out of here. So they were used to kind of being nasty to the women.
0: There's a lot of moments where your blood boils, reading Sunflower Sisters. That's a good thing, Martha, because we keep turning the page. That's <laughs> yes, conflict. Again, I'm talking with author Martha Hall Kelly. Her new book is Sunflower Sisters. You can join us, 888-720-9677. Tom's calling in from Manchester. Tom, we just have a few minutes left, if you could be brief. Thanks. All
3: right, yes. Um, Hello, Tom from Manchester. I'm of African-American background. I admire what the author's saying, and I just want to point out some things, too. In the North, you had copperheads that were pro South, and then about a third of Southerners did fight for the North from some of the border states such as uh uh Tennessee. but the Confederates sometimes wouldn't take black soldiers' capture afterwards. They executed them in a spot like Fort Pillow, uh, Tennessee, as one example. Some blacks were in the loyal league as spies, so we did fight and earn our um freedom and I guess the Confederate uh thing with slavery was the you know point of their um constitution, and I view their flag as a flag of um treason, but we should know that we fought for that war. Ten percent of the forces and ten percent of the casualties. we have our blood in the Army and Navy, so it wasn't a white man's war. And it did split the nation among ethnicities, Irish, Jewish, fought on both sides as well as Canadian. And uh, luckily France and Great Britain didn't join the Confederacy. because <laughs> so That could have been a game changer. So uh, it should never be forgotten. But with all Americans today, and I saw what happened in the White House on January 6th, never happened, uh, you know, again with that kind of uh, racist backlash. When I saw the Confederate flag inside the White House, it, it really um, angered me. So, I, like I said, that's a flag of treason. I'm not apologizing for that. And they lost the war, but it got back at us in Reconstruction um, through racist policies till the 1960s. So, I'm proud to be an African-American. I'm college educated, and um, I pay my taxes, and um, I'm, I was born here and I die here, and um it's good for your book to come out. I think it's timely that uh, we need to know about it and even discussion of reparations. So I'll end on that and, you know, best of luck, you know, your book tour, if you're having one. Thank you.
2: Aww, Thank you, Tom. That was, that was wonderful. Uh, you know, that is, I'm is—I'm—I'm so glad for that call because that's such good background. Um, I just want to mention that at the end of the book, Gemma's, um, the love interest, um, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but um involves a Black regiment that comes to, um, I can't say too much, but that helps out. um, It helps Gemma save her life, really. So um, I'm so glad that the caller called
0: in with that. He also mentioned the term copperhead. That's something that's in the book, uh, I think in reference to Anne May.
2: That's right. Anne May
0: is basically a copperhead.
2: Yeah, that was another thing I learned. Uh, uh, So much history. But But yeah, there were lots of people living in the North that were sympathizers, and they were copperheads.
0: I think that's why I enjoy your book so much, Martha, you had mentioned earlier that you were never a Civil War buff, but you're drawn uh, to this research and using history to write these really engaging stories. And it makes people, you know, look the stuff up, uh, even if they, they don't remember the lessons, or unfortunately, a lot that's not taught in public schools.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think that it, it brings out a lot of emotion and I think it's really good. Your callers like Tom um, and readers are, feel the same way. It, it, it makes it relevant again and helps us learn from history because if we don't
0: learn from it, I mean, what's the point, Rhea?
2: Don't you agree?
0: oh yeah definitely uh you know we just have a couple of minutes left and i know uh you focus so much of of your work over the last uh, several years these three books on uh the faraday Woolsley women i understand this is the last one following this family martha yes
2: yes it's really sad my editor um kara caesar at random house was we got a little teary one day on the um you know at, at when she said yeah this is you know your manuscript is perfect let's go um, we both just kind of had a moment because it's been, uh, you know, discovering Caroline and um, writing about her mother and now her great grandmother. It just it feels like um, you know I'm I'm leaving friends, but uh, they'll always be there in the books and uh, the Bellamy Faraday House will always be there. So and I live ten minutes away and do lots of events over there. So I I'll be connected still. It's just you know, the end of an era, the book ends at the Bellamy Faraday house. And, um, I think that's a really nice way to bring it full circle.
0: I don't know, Martha, I think you could write up another book all about Gemma. <laughs> what happens to her and her family?
2: You <laughs> Oh, there's an idea. I have two more in the hopper though. So I
0: have to finish those first. So tell us about the next one uh, a little bit.
2: Oh, goodness. Um, Two more from Random House. One is a Cold War novel, and that takes place um, in the nineteen fifties. And it's two. It's connected to Ravensbrook. It's it's you know kind of connected to Lilac Girls. Um, and it's two women, one American, half Jewish, and one French, who friends who survived Ravensbrook, but terrible things were done to them there by this one doctor that they hunt down after, and they go all around the world from. Uh, Paris and Rome to South America. So that's really fun. That's called The Golden Doves. And the next one after that takes place in my house, um, my house in Litchfield. I, I have um, thinly disguised it. It's, it's in Liberty, uh, Massachusetts. But it actually takes place in Litchfield. So that's been fun, writing about my own town. But it's also a little bit, it's a thriller. Um, A current day thriller and uh, my husband says we may have to move though from this house because I've scared myself too badly writing about, you know, writing scenes in this house and it's, it's a scary, scary book, but so those two are, I'm having a lot of fun writing those.
0: Well, we can't wait to read them. Uh, Martha Hall -Hall Kelly, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm just curious with these books and the following of the Faraday Woolsey women, any plans on making this the next uh, TV series on Netflix or Hulu? Uh, Wouldn't that be great? (laughs)
2: Um, There may be some things in the hopper. Um, Lilac Girls had been optioned. And that unfortunately didn't go anywhere, but you never know. I think maybe Sunflower Sisters, third
0: time's the charm. Well, wonderful, I can't wait to hear more. Martha, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lucy. That's Martha Hall Kelly, author of the new book, Sunflower Sisters. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall Coming up, we talk to Connecticut Landmarks, which, like most nonprofits, has had a rough year because of the pandemic. Connecticut Landmarks operates more than a dozen historical homes around our state, including the Bellamy, Faraday House and Garden in Bethlehem. We'll find out more after the break. (laughs) is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nalbath Joining me now on Zoom is Aaron Markovich, Executive Director with Connecticut Landmarks. This is the network of 11 historic properties in our state, including the Bellamy Faraday House in Bethlehem. Aaron, welcome to the show.
1: Hi there. Thank you for having me.
0: So what has it been like this last year uh, in the pandemic for your organization?
1: Um, well, we're, we're an organization that's uh, been around since the thirties and we've gone through a lot of, a lot of things over the years. Um, but the last year was of course, um, you know, a a bit of a struggle. We had about a 60% loss in income. Um, but we did reopen sort of July, August of last year, met with a lot of great enthusiasm from visitors who were eager to get out of the house and explore safely. Um, and we opened for different types of tours and events, of course, following all the state guidelines, um, a place like Bellamy Faraday which everybody just heard about had about a limit of 15 people in the tours um, and we had to reduce that to five uh, during the the coronavirus uh, restrictions so but we continue to hold a variety of virtual programs and um, had a lot of support from all of our our fans and visitors
0: a 60 percent drop in revenue that seems pretty challenging when also you think about these historic homes it costs a lot of money to maintain them
1: it sure does. It sure does. Um, and that was 60% that that encompasses our earned income, which is our rentals, um, our walk in tours, and those types of things. So we're our retooling to be able to be more accommodating there. This year, we're really looking forward. We've got uh, basically a full rental schedule for weddings coming up in the uh, at, at the Hale Homestead, we own the Nathan Hale Homestead, um, and some of our other sites, and we're starting to reopen. So Starting May first, Bellamy Faraday will be open for tours by appointment, um, Wednesdays through Sunday, twelve to four. So we hope to see people coming out to those sites and, and all of our sites.
0: Well, that's good news, and especially with the Bellamy Faraday House, the beautiful gardens that Caroline Faraday and her staff maintain there. Uh, to see the lilacs blooming and the peonies, it's so mm-hmm. it's so special, Erin.
1: It, it is absolutely. Our our site administrator Peg out there and, and all the staff uh, does an amazing job and um, keeps those those grounds looking amazing. We have a, a lilac week uh, that will be when the lilacs come into bloom and are, are really just a, a very special time to be out there. And we work very closely with the Bethlehem Land Trust that owns the next door property. It was all part of uh, the Bellamy Faraday property and the Land Trust has a great walking trail up through the woods and grounds that surround the property.
0: I'm going to put a plug in uh, for the Phelps Hathaway House in Suffield, another <laughs> beautiful historic home and garden that's part of the landmarks, Aaron.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Phelps Hathaway is, is fantastic. Uh, if folks have not been to the main street of Suffield. I I really encourage you to get out there in addition to the Phelps House and and that visitation. They're going to be opening a little bit later than Bellamy, but you've got a great walk down Main Street. The gardens are beautiful. And uh, we're really looking forward this year to putting a little bit more investment into that site and, and building up our opportunity to have it available for rentals and for educational programs. Just really, there are 12 sites around the state that are just, each of them are different types of stars. Everything from their colonial history at the Nathan Hale homestead to the Bellamy house and the stories around both Reverend Bellamy, who was a leader of the religious movement in the 1700s called the Great Awakening, um, and, and actually had Aaron Burr live at the house for a very short period of time, um, all the way to uh, places in Hartford, such as the Isham Terry house, um, which is a, a unique site that we're working hard to get reopened on a more regular basis.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the Nathan Hale Homestead a couple of times. It's a beautiful property. I actually went there for a, a ghost tour before the pandemic, Aaron. <laughs> have, have yeah. you, what, what would you say is your favorite uh, landmark uh, within the organization? Are you allowed to, to pick favorite?
1: <laughs> I may, you know, you're not allowed to pick your favorite child, so I won't pick uh, a favorite house either. <laughs> um I really do enjoy the story that happens down at our new London uh, site, the Hempstead houses that has a a really unique connection with an enslaved person named Adam Jackson. And we're really working hard. We've been working with a group called the international um, coalition on the sites of conscience and um, to really bring those interesting, exciting stories out. You know, uh, Martha was talking about, getting emotional when she heard these stories and visiting these places history has like a really great way to connect people to that emotion and those complex things um, in history you talked a little bit about the fact that we we're kind of forced into memorizing dates and times instead of embracing stories and how they can be transformative to us historic sites are that very tangible experience and when you go to the Hempstead houses as an example you make that connection the Hale Homestead or Phelps or whatever they might be, these houses that we operate, you, you get to connect directly to them.
0: And where are the Hempstead houses located? And tell us a little bit more about some of the notable figures uh, there that, uh, that that focus on the, the diverse, uh, diverse people that once lived there.
1: Yeah, the um, Hempstead houses are located more or less just on the edge of downtown New London um and we we love new london and we're we're embracing our our, our work with them and um so in in this case joshua hemstead uh he's sometimes known as the diarist he kept a diary and in that diary he would remark on adam's life and it you didn't get necessarily deep into the emotion that adam might have been feeling but you got a a sense of the rhythm of his life the ups and the downs and the things that he was doing and and the work that he was doing um, and it, it is really just a unique thing. And we've installed now a, a new exhibit piece that will be open later this year um, that is essentially a, a, a touch screen diary so that you can see these words brought to life. The Historical Society in New London owns the actual. Uh, and uh, so we continue to work together. It's, it's really exciting to do that. In addition, we've been working, you know, you mentioned the Phelps House. Oliver Phelps was one of the richest men in the world um, at the time that he lived in the Phelps house in Suffield, but he had a very bad record in dealing with Native Americans and and um, his treatment of them. So history's complex. <laughs> There's no easy, clean stories here, so we're working hard to try to interpret those and work with partners to do that.
0: And you mentioned Adam again at the Hempstead House, so he was someone who was enslaved there.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and there were other enslaved people, but Adam was a person who had a little bit more in Joshua's diaries. And that was, that's the lens that we're able to see Adam in his life.
0: Well, there's definitely plenty of the properties within the Connecticut landmarks that residents should check out and hopefully more uh, tourists that come into our state as we are all looking for the end of this pandemic, Erin, uh, uh, Before we let you go, uh, we just spoke to Martha Hall Kelly, and there's a, an event happening uh, related to the bellamy Faraday House and her latest book. Can you tell us briefly?
1: That's right. We have a uh, virtual fundraising event on Sunday, April 18th at 3 p.m., uh, it's April 18th at 3 p.m. if you're writing that down at home. Um, benefits Connecticut landmarks, um, it will be presented via Zoom, um, include a si- slideshow of images from Bellamy Faraday, um, as well as a question and answer after Martha's program with um, site administrator uh, Peg Schimer and our Hartford properties administrator and sort of internal historian in many ways, uh, Jana Colasino. Um, it's actually free you just have to register for the base level but if you contribute uh we 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 suggest a donation of ten dollars but if you are willing to contribute uh twenty five dollars you get some free admission tickets and if you're willing to contribute 75 we'll actually send you a sign sunflower sisters hardcover book uh keepsake um two passes a commemorative bookmark and of course uh part of all uh, a portion of that will be tax deductible Um, And we just tell people that in in addition to that event, we have walking tours in Hartford, uh, Sunset Sounds, um, tours, lectures, our Juneteenth program at Hempstead, our um, annual encampment. At, oh, it all sounds
0: uh, great, Aaron Markovich. We have a link on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live for more. Thank you so much, Aaron Markovich, Executive Director with Connecticut Landmarks. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible, our theme music composed by Hannis Brown. We hope you have a great weekend.